Let's give the band another good round of applause. And Chelsea, thank you for reading some of the Christmas story. Today we're starting a brand new series. Um, it's December, just in case it snuck up on you, and it's now the holidays. And our new series is called The Greatest Story. And I think that the Christmas story, that's what I'm talking about when I say the greatest story, I think the Christmas story can change everything about our story. And you might say, Alex, how can the story of a Middle Eastern baby born 2,000 years ago in a stable surrounded by animals have any effect on my life today? I think that's a good question. And you know, you might be thinking, why does everybody get so excited about this Christmas story? It's about a baby who was born a long time ago. How does that affect me today? But the Christmas story, what it's really saying is that God became like us so that we could become like him. It reveals to us the incredible lengths that God went through so that we could know him and be like him and experience his love. And so when I'm talking about the Christmas story, I'm not just talking about there was this baby Jesus and he lived a long time ago and he, some shepherds celebrated his birth. What I'm celebrating when I say the Christmas story, what I'm talking about in this series when I say it's the greatest story is, I'm saying that God coming into this world and not showing up as an angry judge with a big sword to kill us, but coming as a child to rescue us, that tells us something about how God feels about us. It tells us that God is with us and for us. You say, how do you know he's with us? Well, he became a human. He's now intrinsically forever linked with us as humans because he became like us. And how do we know he's for us? Because he didn't come in to destroy us. He came in to rescue us. And so that's what we're going to be talking about as we start this series called The Greatest Story over the next couple weeks. And what's interesting about the Christmas story is if you've been in church at all, you've been around church, you're used to the Christmas story and it gets to be December and people camp out in the book of Luke for the next month and they just spend all their time right there. And that's a great passage. But the Christmas story doesn't start in a stable in Bethlehem. The Christmas story actually starts in Genesis, the first book of the Bible. It starts at the very beginning of the story, and that's where we're going to start our series here uh, today. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3. We're going to start reading in verse 1. It says, Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat from the fruit from the trees in the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the servant said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God. You'll know the difference between good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, and it was desirable for obtaining wisdom. And so she took some of the fruit and she ate it and she also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it and then the eyes of both of them were opened they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves to cover themselves and made covering for themselves and then the man and his wife heard the sound of the lord god walking in the garden at the time of the evening breeze and they hid from the lord god among the trees of the garden and so the lord god called out to the man and said where are you and the man answered and said i heard you in the garden and i was afraid because i was naked and so i hid myself and then he asked the man, who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man replied, the woman you gave me, to, you gave to be with me, she gave me some of the fruit from the tree and I ate. And so the Lord God asked the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. 
And so the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than any livestock, more than any wild animal. You will move on your belly and eat dust all the days of your life. I will put hostility between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you for this beautiful story that the Bible tells. Not all these incomplete stories and letters and random facts, but it tells one continuous story of a God who loves us and will go to incredible lengths to be with us and for us to experience his love. Lord, thank you so much for sending, sending your son Jesus into the world. Thank you that you didn't come to punish us and to say, wow, you've really messed up. Let me kick you while you're down. But instead you came in to rescue us. And Lord, I pray today that we'll be excited again about the Christmas story, that it won't just be some story, some American tradition that we go through every year, but we'll get excited about what's going on and what we're celebrating here. And I pray this all like I believe Jesus would. Amen. So there's some interesting things going on here in this passage, and I think the first thing we have to talk about is this serpent character that appears here. Uh, now, the, the serpent uh, that appears here is the devil. The story introduces this, uh, this serpent, as it's translated in English, but the Hebrew word that's used here is actually the word nakash. And you say, why do I care about that? Well, it was originally written in Hebrew. It's been translated into English, but the original writers wrote this in Hebrew. And the word nakash is interesting because it just doesn't translate into serpent. It translates into some other things. And it gives us a little bit of picture about what we're talking about here. If you go back to the root of the word nakash in Hebrew, it literally means hiss, the hiss. So he's talking about a reptilian hiss, this sound. And sometimes it's used to describe snakes, and sometimes it's used to describe dragons or monsters or leviathans. And um, so at the end of the Bible, we get a little bit more information about what this serpent is and who this is. In Revelation 22, it says... And he, being Jesus, sees the dragon, that ancient serpent who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And so when we're looking at the, the serpent here in this passage, we're talking about the devil. We're talking about the dragon. And the, uh, the dragon is the enemy of God. He's the hater of life. He's the corrupter of good. And you'll notice what the serpent does here in this passage he immediately draws Adam and Eve's attention to the one good thing they do not have. I did a little bit of research because notice Eve said, we can eat of any fruit, we just can't eat of this one. There are 295,000 different species of fruit in the world. That's incredible to me. I've seen a lot of different fruit. Um, I joke because every week I buy clementines for the church here, and I always call them small oranges. And so I go into the grocery store, and I'm like, you got any of those small oranges? And they're like, do you mean cuties or clementines? You know, they name all these different varieties. I'm like, the small oranges, that's the ones I want. You know, they're just all small oranges to me. But there's 295,000 different species of fruit in the world. They all, the only thing they had to do was not eat one. And you say, why did God even do this? Does God just really hate this one type of fruit? Like, does he just want to be really restrictive? This is how they showed God that they loved him. By, by obeying him, they showed that they trusted God. This is how they showed they were grateful. And they said, you know, 249,999 fruit is enough. I don't need this last one. It was a way to show that they were grateful for everything that God had given them by respecting his wishes to not have the one. But the dragon is always going to promise that one good thing that God hasn't given us. 
And he does that same thing today in our lives. He'll make you think about and ponder and fixate on the one good thing God hasn't given you instead of you being grateful for the thousands of good things that God has given you, or in their case, the hundreds of thousands of good things that God has given to you. And we think that if we do things the dragon's way, that we'll get what we want, we'll get this good thing that we're lacking, but the dragon always lies, and he always tries to get things by force and by, um, by taking things by power and by money and by might. And nothing lasting or good ever comes by the dragon's methods. You know, they, the real issue here was not that they ate the fruit. The real issue was that they doubted the goodness of God. And we serve the dragon and, like they did when we say God is not good. That's really the issue here. They said, if God was good, he would have given us this fruit. And he hasn't, so God must not be good. And so at this moment, something happened. Humanity moved their allegiance from God to the dragon. They decided, you know what? God's not going to be our king anymore, the dragon is, because the dragon is promising to give us the one good thing that God hasn't. It would be like an Eagles fan saying, you know what? I'm taking off my Eagles jersey. I'm putting on a Cowboy jersey now because the Cowboys can give me a win when the Eagles can't. I know that's heresy right now if you want to start throwing bricks. But that's what happened here in this story is they took off their jersey saying, hey, we're on God's team. And they put on the jersey for the dragon and said, you know what? He can give us this thing that God hasn't given us. The issue is the big moment that makes this such a... Um, it's such a pivotal moment in human history is it was humanity deciding that God wasn't good. And we still do that today. There's still moments when we're tempted to think that God is not good because of something that comes into our life or something that's taken out of our life. It wasn't that, you know, the, <laughs> that they ate some fruit that they weren't supposed to. The issue was that they doubted the goodness of God. I don't know about um, you, maybe if you you live with your parents, you live with some roommates, you live with your spouse, they'll sometimes set aside food that you're not supposed to eat. Um, Darby many times does this where I'll reach for something, she's like, that's for baking. And I'm like, but I'd like to eat it right now. You know, and she's like, no, 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 save that for later, it's for baking. And God isn't like freaking out here because he's like, you know what, I was saving that fruit for a pie, you can't have it right now. The issue was that they didn't trust God. Their idea of God was wrong. And so at this moment, at this critical moment, they decided we're not going to serve God, we're going to serve the dragon. Adam and Eve left the kingdom of God and entered the kingdom of the dragon. No longer was God their king, now their dragon, now this dragon was king. And we've been living in the kingdom of dragon for thousands and thousands and thousands of years since this. And what they found very quickly was the kingdom of the dragon was nowhere as nice as God's kingdom had been. Uh, the, the dragon, for one, wanted to, des to destroy them. He wanted to make their lives miserable. And very quickly, they found some key things that they had lost in the kingdom of the dragon now that they had in the kingdom of God. And one of the first things they saw, you'll see here in verse 7, they experienced shame. It says in verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves, and they, they were ashamed at realizing that they were naked. And they abandoned the value that they had in the kingdom of God, and now they were in a place where they feel shame. 
and we've experienced that, right? That's how we know we're still in the kingdom of the dragon because there's been moments where you're ashamed. I was uh, talking to some little kids this week, or uh, actually it was last week, and the one, the one little kid was telling on the other little kid, it's like, you wet your pants the other day. And the other kid was all embarrassed, you know, and uh, you know, what is that shame? And we're always like saying something, you know what they did, and they're making them feel ashamed to cover up our shame. And still today, we're trying to find ways to cover up our shame. It's all part of being in the kingdom of the dragon. But not only did they abandon this value, this sense of worth that they had in the kingdom of God, they also abandoned joy for, the, uh, for fear, for a kingdom of fear. And you see this in verse 10. It says, and I said to you, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and so I hid. I was afraid, and I hid. Think about this. Adam and Eve in the kingdom of God, they never woke up and said, you know what? I'm worried about what's going to happen today. They had nothing to worry about. They never woke up and said, you know what? I'm afraid about what's going to happen next. They never had that. But we do that. We think, what's going to happen next week? What's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next year? Is this ever going to happen? Is this ever going to come? This is all realities of living in the kingdom of the dragon. And not only did they abandon um, all of this, they also abandoned the kingdom of blessing for the kingdom of blame. And you'll see in verse 12 how this immediately starts to turn into a blame fest. The man replied, the woman you gave me, she gave me the fruit. And so he's like not only blaming the woman, he's blaming God. And then the woman says, it was the serpent. It was the dragon's fault. It's not my fault. And the woman's like, it wasn't me. It was this creature. And didn't you make that creature? So ultimately, it's your fault, God. And we turn into the situation where we're blaming everybody. Um, this happens quite a bit in my household where I am putting away the dishes sometimes. And I'm like, I don't know where this goes. It's a weird-looking bowl with all kinds of handles and things. And so I just open up a cabinet, and I shove it in there. And then I kind of push the door closed to make sure it doesn't fall out. And, um, and then Darby eventually comes along, and she opens it, and everything falls out. And she goes, who put this in here? And what I do is my mother-in-law was recently in town, and I'm like, it was Debbie. I, I think Debbie put that away. And that was definitely a Debbie decision right there. She put that dish away, and then when Debbie hasn't been here for a while, I'm like, it must have been somebody came over the house and was trying to help out, and what is that where we always try to blame somebody else instead of just taking responsibility for what we've done? I mean, it's part of living in the kingdom of the dragon. That's just the reality of how it is in his kingdom. And finally, they, they abandoned the kingdom of truth for the kingdom of lies. In verse 13, the woman says, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Just think about this. In the kingdom of God, no one ever told a lie. Everybody was always honest. They were always straightforward. They actually told you how things were. They weren't lying to your face and saying something else behind your back. They weren't saying what you want to hear so they could get what they want. Could you imagine what politicians and government would be like if there were no lies? Man, it would be a wild world, right? Uh, imagine if everyone in your life just told you the truth. It'd be a different world. But in the kingdom of the dragon, we lie to cover ourselves and to hide our shame and to cast blame and because of our fears. And you say, well, Alex, this has been the most depressing message we've ever heard from you. So you tell us where we're existing in a world that's ruled by an evil dragon who hates us all and wants to destroy us. And it's a world that's filled with shame and fear and blame and lies. What a happy Christmas message. Well, if it just stopped there, it would be really miserable and we'd all go away depressed and have to up our dosage on our meds. 
but that's not where it ends. In fact, if you look here, God begins to lay out this promise in verse 15. He says, I'm going to put hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And her offspring, he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about how God lays out this plan to create a special people who are going to be a unique platform to announce this special person to the world. These special people we're going to talk about in the next few weeks in this series are the Jewish people. It's Israel, this nation that God pulls together and he says, you're going to be my special platform to announce my special person, Jesus, to the world. And Jesus is going to defeat this dragon and he's going to restore God's kingdom and he's going to end the rule of the dragon. And it's, uh, it's fascinating to me here that in the worst day of human history, humans go from having everything, having this close relationship with God, with everything being perfect, to all of a sudden going into the worst possible kingdom and existence you can live, on, live in. On this worst day in human history, what is God saying? He's whispering, Jesus is coming. Don't give up hope. It's not over. You're in the dragon's kingdom, but I'm not going to leave you there. I'm going to send a rescuer. And so right here in Genesis chapter 3, at the beginning of the story, he's promising, I'm going to come and make things right. I'm going to come and set things right. And the worst day in our life, God is whispering, Jesus has come. The dragon is defeated. His kingdom is over. You don't have to live in the dragon's kingdom anymore. There is hope and there is life and you have a future where you can live without blessing, where you can live with blessing and without fear. You can live with value, without shame. See, Jesus came into the world announcing the kingdom of God. He was announcing, I've killed the dragon and I'm creating a way for you to live in the kingdom of God again. See, Jesus coming into the world, the Christmas story, is God announcing, I've come to kill the dragon and set you free. I've come to give you a way to live in the kingdom of God. And you see in Matthew 12, 28, Jesus said, if I defeat demons by the spirit of God, know this, the kingdom of God has arrived. You could even say it like this to keep with kind of our metaphor of dragons. See, if I defeat dragons by the spirit of God, then know this, the kingdom of God has arrived. And so Jesus came and said, it's here. I've come to bring the kingdom. I've come to free you from the rule of the dragon. Jesus invites us to no longer live in a kingdom, no longer live a life of shame and fear and blame and lies. He says, come and live in the kingdom of God. The dragon ruled this world, but I've killed him and I've come to set you and so the Christmas story is ultimately a story telling us there's a better way to live, the way of Jesus. That's what the Christmas story is telling us. It's not telling us, hey, a long time ago this baby was born. It's saying God came into the world to defeat the dragon, to set us free from the rule of the dragon so that he can be king of our lives again. He wants us to live in his kingdom rather than in the kingdom of the dragon. And as we look around us, we can see blame and fear. We can see all these horrible things that are part of the dragon's kingdom all around us. But in the midst of that, we can live in Jesus' kingdom. We can become a follower of Jesus, and it changes every part of our lives. Because he came and defeated the dragon, we have the opportunity to live in the kingdom of God again. 
in Matthew 12, 28. This was the message of Jesus that he took around. It says, Jesus went through the cities and the villages proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom of God. He was saying the kingdom of the dragon is over. I'm bringing it to an end. And eventually this whole world will be over. But he says, right now, I'm bringing the kingdom into your hearts and minds and lives. I want to change things for you. That's the reality of Jesus coming into this world. He came into this world. He died in our place. And his death defeated death and the devil and the dragon so that we could be free from the rule and reign that they had over us. So that we could live free life now and forever. That's the Christmas story. That's what gets me excited. People put up a manger in their front yard, and I'm like, okay, that's nice. But I start reading the Bible. I start reading how at the very beginning of the story, God's like, yes, there's a dragon, but I'm going to send someone who's going to be a dragon killer and it's going to kill that dragon. And then as you read through the whole story, you get to the end of the Bible in Revelation, and you have Jesus grabbing the dragon and chaining him and throwing him into a pit forever. And he says, now those who have experienced my freedom will be with me forever. That's the Christmas story. That's an exciting story to me. I don't get that excited when people are like, hey, look, we're going to stick a light bulb inside this plastic Jesus and put him in our front yard. But when I start reading the Bible, I see this story of a God who loved us so much that he wrestled a dragon. He laid down his life to save us and to invite us into his kingdom. And so I end with this. What do we do with this? I think the question we need to ask ourselves is whose kingdom are we living in? The dragon still has influence in this world. He's in his death throes. He's been defeated. He's dying, but it's still a world full of fear and shame and blame and lies. But we don't have to live in that kingdom. We can live in God's kingdom in the midst of the dragon's kingdom. So whose kingdom do you live in? And then the second question I think we need to ask ourselves is, is God good? Because there's some days where we're probably going to say yes. And there's some days where we're going to wrestle and say, I, I don't know today. I really struggled today. But when we say God is not good, we serve the dragon. We're returning back to that old kingdom instead of experiencing the new kingdom that Jesus has opened up the gates for. Is God good? That's ultimately the question that Adam and Eve asked and answered and plunged us into the kingdom of the dragon. And as long as we answer no, we're going to keep finding ourselves back into the kingdom of the dragon rather than the kingdom of and finally, this is a great story. This is a great message. This is good news. The fact that our world has existed in the kingdom of the dragon, but Jesus came and defeated the dragon, and now we can live and love like him. We can follow him, live his way. And the reality of that is it makes our lives different. It changes everything about how we experience life. And I think we need to ask ourselves, who needs to hear this good story? That the kingdom of blame and shame and fear and lies, the kingdom of the dragon, doesn't have to be the way that you live. You can live in the kingdom of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for coming into our world and rescuing us. For not leaving us bound by darkness and death and the dragon, but instead you came in and you sacrificed yourself. The dragon and you battled and you defeated him, but you were struck a death blow, but you didn't stay dead. You came back to life, and you've promised life to all those who put their faith and trust in you. And you invite us to live and love like you do, did, to become students of your way of life, 
And Lord, when we do that, we can experience the eternal life that you have for us right now. We can experience the kingdom of God in the midst of the kingdom of the dragon. And Lord, we look forward to the day when you'll set all everything right and you'll rule and reign and there will be no more evil. It'll be completely put away. But we're so grateful that in this moment we can know you now and we can love you now. And Lord Jesus, I pray if there's someone out here and they're like, I'm sick of being in the kingdom of the dragon, I pray that they'll just cry out to you tonight. Because I know that you're a God who longs to save, to rush into our life and to change us from the inside out. To bring the kingdom of God into our hearts and minds and to rescue us from darkness. And Lord, I pray that this Christmas season is not a season of busyness or a season of bright lights and expensive gifts, but it becomes a season of thankfulness for a God who at the very beginning didn't leave us in our darkness, but immediately set into motion a plan to rescue us and save us that we might be with him forever. And I pray all these things. Like I believe Jesus Christ would. Amen.